everyone. Welcome to the True Path Podcast. I'm so glad you're joining us today. Today is session 12 in our study of the book of Daniel. We're discussing chapter 7, verses 1 through 3 today. So we've all heard the expression, a picture's worth a thousand words. And we all know just how true that is. I can think of my husband's favorite picture. It's a picture of our family that was taken many years ago. Now, for some reason, our kids started laughing. And the picture was taken just as our kids were throwing their heads back in hysterical laughter. Now, to this day, neither Greg nor I can remember what made the kids start laughing so hard. But it doesn't matter that we can't remember the particulars, the time and setting, because the picture says it all. It depicts a time of crazy, funny laughter. And even though we don't know the details, when we see that picture, it brings us joy. Well, in today's passage, Daniel's given a picture, a vision, really, and there's much speculation and differing opinions among scholars as to what the particulars, the time and setting are of this picture. But let me just encourage you before we begin not to be too focused on deciphering every detail, but instead look at the big picture, because in doing so, you will also find joy. So let's read Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. In the first year of King Belshazzar of Babylon, Daniel had a dream with visions in his mind as he was lying in his bed. He wrote down the dream, and here is the summary of his account. Daniel said, In my vision at night I was watching, and suddenly the four winds of heaven stirred up the great sea. Four huge beasts came up from the sea each different from the other. So one of the first things you might notice when studying the book of Daniel is the fact that it is not written in chronological order. Verse 1 says that Daniel has this vision in the first year of King Belshazzar's reign over Babylon. And in chapter 6 of Daniel, it ends with King Belshazzar being killed and Babylon being conquered by the Medes and Persians. So the events of chapter 7 occur roughly 14 years before the events in chapter 6. And there's a reason why. You see, the book of Daniel is basically written in two separate parts. Chapters 1 through 6 are narrative accounts of Daniel and his friends living as exiles in a foreign land. These narrative accounts deal with how the God of heaven controls and directs the course of human history that all kingdoms, no matter how strong and powerful, are subject to the Most High God. These chapters also reveal that although God controls the kingdoms and powers of the world, He's also involved in the personal lives of individuals. God cares for, protects, and saves those who belong to Him. But in chapter 7, we see a shift taking place. Daniel moves from narrative accounts to apocalyptic accounts in the forms of visions and dreams in chapters 7 through 12. So what is apocalyptic or visionary literature, and why should we study it? And so I'm going to defer to my commentaries here. Apocalyptic literature is defined as crisis literature, typically conveying specific messages to particular groups of people who are caught up in dire situations. And in this case, these visions are messages directed toward the Hebrews, which is probably why Daniel switches from writing in Aramaic to writing in Hebrew. The Jews are exiles in a foreign land, 
Their homeland and temple have been decimated. They're feeling far from home, far from family, far from God. Read the book of Lamentations. They're immersed in a world and culture that hates them and rejects them. And the visions that God gives to Daniel are a reminder that there is a cosmic war standing behind human conflict. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, and the cosmic powers of darkness, against spiritual forces in the heavens. And judgment is certain for those who resist God and oppress his people. And for the Jewish exiles, this vision is also encouragement that God is on his throne and that there is order and purpose to everything, even when it looks like there isn't. And we see the obvious parallels here. We too, as Christians, are exiles. This world is not our home. Philippians 3.20 tells us we are citizens of heaven. These passages in Daniel remind us that things are not always going to be the way they are. Someday, everything will change for everyone. You see, God is not just some distant deity who started the world spinning and is now hands off. He's interested and involved in the affairs of humanity, and he is actively working toward an ultimate goal. I like what one of my commentaries says. It says, it is a call to faith for those who are wavering between God's truth and human wisdom. And that is so true, because as Christians, we are bombarded by a culture that says truth is whatever you want it to be. We're constantly hearing, live your own truth, live out your truth. Meaning, if it feels right and you think it's right, then it is right. It is the ultimate wisdom. But if that's the case, then the whole concept of truth becomes relative. I mean, it totally depends on your own point of view. Truth is whatever you want it to be. But God, the author and creator of wisdom, tells us there is one truth, one ethical and moral foundation upon which to build our lives. And that is the fact that human beings are sinful and need saving. And the God of the heavens and earth sent his only son Jesus to do just that, to live the perfect life that we could not live and pay the price for our sins that we could not pay. And as Christians, the way we think, the way we act, and what we say should all stem from the foundation of this one truth. Okay, so what does verse 1 through 3 tell us? Well, first of all, the vision takes place during the reign of Belshazzar. Now, as you remember from previous studies, Daniel was taken from his home by King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, almost immediately, Nebuchadnezzar recognized Daniel's intellect, his incredible wisdom, and his giftedness at interpreting dreams and riddles. So, Nebuchadnezzar promoted Daniel to the lofty position of chief of all the wise men in Nebuchadnezzar's court. Now, even though Daniel didn't care about fame, fortune, and notoriety, this was a position of great fame and notoriety. But that didn't last, because in chapter 5, we find a new king on the throne in Babylon, King Belshazzar, and he has no idea who Daniel even is. So at the time that Daniel receives this vision, he is an old man 
He's been fired from his job, forgotten by the king, fame and notoriety all gone. But does any of that matter to God? Not a whit. You see, Daniel's identity, it isn't bound by his position. His identity is in God. Therefore, God could use him regardless of what position he was in. God does some of, some of his most powerful work through Daniel during the time that he was most forgotten by the world. And this vision must have been quite powerful and moving to Daniel because he feels the need to write it down. So why do we write things down? Well, to remember them, to teach others about them, to express ourselves, to encourage others, to build relationships, to communicate. Daniel felt compelled that this information was worth remembering and communicating to others. And as one scholar points out, by writing it down, it makes it open to scrutiny and vindication. You see, the vision involves future events, which can be tested and proven. And as I've said so many times before, one of the beautiful things about God is, yes, our Christianity is based on faith. But God also gives us concrete, provable facts that increase our ability to have faith in the things we can't see. So Daniel's vision is of four huge beasts emerging from a churning sea. Scholars generally agree that this vision or dream depicts in greater detail King Nebuchadnezzar's dream back in chapter 2. You see, Nebuchadnezzar's dream of a huge statue of a person with body parts made of gold, silver, bronze, and iron, which signify different world kingdoms, depicts the same events that occur in Daniel's vision, except the kingdoms, represented by different body parts made of different metals, are now represented by four huge beasts. One of my commentaries says, Nebuchadnezzar saw four world empires, Babylon, Medes and Persians, Greece, and Rome, in their outward glory, represented by four medals and a huge image of a person. Daniel sees those same kingdoms in their inward character, as vicious beasts. And so it begs the question, why give the vision twice? I mean, why give it to Nebuchadnezzar, then give it to Daniel? Well, I think because the purposes are different. See, for Nebuchadnezzar, it was to show that God is in control over all human affairs. God is God of the universe, not just God of the Hebrews. And for Daniel, it was to show that the kingdom of God wins and will be given to those who follow him. Nebuchadnezzar's vision was one of judgment when he sees a stone that, that strikes the statue and shatters it leaving no trace of it to be found. God's kingdom will shatter and destroy all the earthly kingdoms and will reign victorious forever and ever. Daniel's vision is one of hope, as it says later in verses 14 and 27, that God's kingdom will not pass away and it will be given to the followers of the Most High. So everyone who is a follower of God will inherit this great and eternal kingdom. Daniel's vision also begins quite differently. Verse 2 says, I was watching, and suddenly the four winds of heaven stirred up the great sea, 
I read a quote that said, The east, west, north, and south winds broke out from each of their quarters and rushed in upon the great sea. The sea is most likely a reference to the Mediterranean Sea, since geographically it's connected to every kingdom and beast coming out of it. The sea could also symbolize humanity, and the stirred up and churning represents the chaotic, tumultuous world from which these kingdoms emerge. Isaiah 57, 20 and 21 says the wicked are like the storm-tossed sea, for it cannot be still, and its waters churns up mire and muck. There is no peace for the wicked, says my God. And out of this churning sea come four huge beasts, not all at once, but in succession, as we'll study next time. Each is different from the other. And the beasts, of course, represent four world empires, human in origin and vicious in character. Each beast is different, meaning each world empire has its own unique characteristics. My commentary says they are portrayed as beasts because of the violence, the cruelty, the oppression and tyranny by which they were set up and maintained. But, as Matthew Henry points out, the dominion given to each kingdom has its limits. You see, nothing can go beyond the limits that God has put in place. And that leads us to our conclusion. The fact that what seems out of control isn't. And when it seems like evil is winning, it's not. God is in control. But we mustn't allow ourselves to be lulled into thinking that if God is in control and has a plan for everything, then it really doesn't matter what I do. I mean, if God's plan is going to come to fruition, no matter what, then what difference does it make what I do? But that kind of thinking is dangerous to the Christian life. I mean, what we do think and say does matter. And Tim Keller, in one of his sermons, talks about this idea. He made the point that people have total free will to make their own choices. Yet, at the same time, all of those choices fit into God's divine will for humanity. He says only God can fix things according to his plan without violating human free will. In his sermon, he also mentions a book by J.I. Packer, in which he explains the idea of free will and God's sovereignty. And he explains it by using the example of light. J.I. Packer says light sometimes behaves as waves and sometimes as particles. Sometimes light behaves as though it doesn't consist of matter, and sometimes it does. It goes on to say that although that seems like a contradiction, it's not. It's an apparent contradiction. We just don't have the knowledge to figure it out. Proverbs 1.9 says, A person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. We have the freedom to make our own plans, to plan our own way, and yet the Lord fits our plans into his sovereign will. And as Timothy Keller points out, this is not a contradiction. It's not either or. It's both. So yes, what we do think and say matters, because it is through our plans that his sovereign will is revealed. Think about it this way. One of the ways that God fulfills his plan to limit and overcome evil is through the lives of his children. 
Would we stand up for what is righteous and good in our communities? Would we serve and minister and rescue those who are vulnerable and in need? That is the kingdom of God, overcoming the kingdom of darkness. So for our challenge this week, let's pray for opportunities to serve the Lord and join Him in the battle against evil. Thank you so much for joining me today. God bless you.